You're listening to Intelligent Data, a podcast by Proficient. Proficient is a global digital consultancy that's transforming how the world's biggest brands connect with customers and grow their businesses. Throughout this series, you'll learn how valuable data is today and how it can transform your business. And now here's our host, Arvind Morali, Data Chief Strategist and Principal at Proficient. Hello and welcome to the Intelligent Data Podcast. In this episode, you'll hear Pawan Kumar discuss commerce, supply chain, and order management. We cover a number of factors influencing supply chain, COVID impact, startup landscape, and AI engines such as Pricer, Recommender, and Optimizer. And of course, we touched up on data privacy and compliance such as GDPR and CCPA. Pawan had a lot to share on how to use data in new ways to drive your business forward and to create that competitive advantage. I am certain you'll enjoy the show. In the era of rapid adoption of e-commerce, both online and -and brick-and-mortar businesses collect customer and behavioral patterns. Data and analytics is going to show you these patterns and will certainly increase personalization to target customers who are mostly going to be likely loyal to your business. In addition, multiple buyers, multiple sellers, markets, products, and it's a very interesting industry value chain. Here to talk more about the value of data in e-commerce, we have Pavan Kumar, who is a principal in Proficient's commerce practice. Pavan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Arvind. I'm very glad to be on your show. I'm a principal, as said, in our in our commerce practice. I have been doing consulting for over 20 years in the area of commerce, supply chain, auto management, helping with the Fortune 500 customers, basically realizing the dream of end-to-end, how do they optimize their auto management, commerce, and supply chain business. Thank you, Pavan. So first, what is the difference between a global commerce implementation and customers who only have like U.S. operations? Which one is more complicated in your opinion? That's a great question, Arvind. We have seen both kind of deployments, and we do a lot of those deployments where customers are either just present or their operations are present in the U.S. A lot of those implementations are global in nature as well. The global deployments are certainly more complicated as compared to um, a single geography or a U.S. implementation. And the reasons behind that is, you know, different countries have different rules and regulations for how the data needs to be accessed, the data privacy and the security requirements. So that kind of drives, you know, how your strategy for deploying those solutions, whether you're going to use a single instance to kind of take care of multi-geography, multi-country, multilingual currency, those kind of requirements or capabilities, or do you then implement or deploy individual uh, instance solutions for the geographies or different countries. For example, many of our customers, you know, they operate globally. A few things that we need to really think about and what we do in a, as part of our implementation is we need to think about their cross-border data transfers. We need to think about the different ways the payments and tax rules work in those regions. And then more importantly also, how do you actually share inventory between those countries? How do you ship products from one country to other? Uh, a lot of the times it is not economical, but then when you have restrictions as you have a lot of inventory sitting in a country or a fulfillment center in a country, 
it's not selling well. However, that same product's been selling like hotcakes in another country. How do you actually transfer that inventory where it has a better chance of getting sold faster and more profitable way? Brilliant. So does geopolitical climate and culture impact that too? So what products sell hot in US may not be the same kind of products you want to sell in a China or Russia or some other country, right? Does that influence your commerce business mindset as well? Absolutely. I'll give you a quick example. Let's say you have a product that's been manufactured in three different countries. And you know one set of inventory that you get from a country may not be acceptable to be sold or stocked in another country because of you know geopolitical issues, because of the tensions between those countries and all that, right? So you need to manage the intelligence of the data in the platform and make sure that you're not doing that mistake of selling the product from the country where it is manufactured, where it should not be. The other example is you probably have heard about the Brexit rule, which is UK leaving the European Union. So there is a trade war. And most of our customers' implementation, we were actually using one single warehouse for the whole European uh, distribution of the product. But then as Brexit uh, came in, we, we are doing a ton of projects with our customers where now we have to separate those warehouses. UK has their own warehouse versus the rest of the European Union has a separate warehouse and all. Wow. Now, with this level of complexity, I'm assuming the kind of data you want is going to be extremely complex and granular. How do you, what kind of different data sets do you deal with when, when you have these, these levels of complexities? Yeah, that is absolutely true. You know, when you are dealing with data sets, uh, such as, you know, in our commerce and auto management implementations, mostly we deal with product catalog information. We deal with a lot of customer segmentation and attribute related data, which is, again, it's very sensitive in, in nature and every country has a different way of handling and uh, making sure we, they're following the privacy and the security rules around those. Inventory is another one. You want to make sure that, you know, as I said, you don't want to sell inventory from one location to another, which shouldn't be. So from the data perspective, it, uh, it is hugely important that the people or the company should understand not only how the visibility of data is going to work, but how do we respect the separation of that data and how do we actually make sure that the data is appropriately transferred between the different geos per the you know the rules and regulations of that particular country yeah and that begs me to ask this question so i'm sure you know what a value stream map is right the, the way to track your inventory in your entire supply chain where exactly is it getting stuck or how is it moving forward when you look at the complexity, you gave me an example of a geopolitical landscape, the Brexit situation. How do you keep track of all these things, especially if you build an end-to-end -end value stream chain, right? Is there like a, a squad per country or is it elevated at a, I don't know, chief operations officer level and you start from there and then go down? How do you think about this in the context of a global supply chain? Yes, yes. So typically what happens is, you know, let's say, um, take an example of inventory data. Um, usually we will see that the inventory is controlled by respective countries. So in this case, you will see a inventory con control analyst in the US and then a similar role in the Europe side as well, who is managing their inventory, 
making sure they have the right amount of inventory and all that. So they're controlling those data in that particular geography. So that's usually the, the way we have seen, and that kind of works out really well. The caveat to that is, you know, now the inventory control guys between US and the Europe has to be in sync sometimes, right? Because it's an overall inventory that the company is carrying. But then the beauty of that is, you know, everybody kind of works in, in their own PL. So inventory as a cost, the cost of serving the customer, the cost of managing the inventory and all kind of falls into within that geography's responsibility or within that country's responsibility. So what you're saying is each country will have its own P&L, if you will, and then there will be a set of analysts who will drive the P&L, which is including the pricing, the inventory levels, and kind of segmentation of the customer themselves as to what product do I need to target in which segment. E each one of these is its own uh, P&L. Is that what you're saying? Correct. Because again, from a country-specific rules, those people understand what product sells better in the country, what the customer demographic information looks like, and when it's going to be more important for them to kind of push out relevant messages and making sure that the their customers are well taken care of from a from a commerce and order fulfillment perspective. Sure, sure. And you talked about this analyst. Let's double click on that a little bit. What kind of insights would they be looking for? Look, there's a there's a theme called process mining, which is evolving in the world of e-commerce. For example, I've repeatedly heard this problem. Processing an invoice when it takes more than seven days, either the, the buyer sues the company who's selling it or the company that sells it sues their supplier because somewhere in the value chain, something is broken. Process mining allows you to see where exactly in the value chain it is. So what, what do you think these analysts, what kind of insights do you think these analysts need to be successful? So that is exactly some of the things that we see in our, uh, in our implementations. And you know, your example about invoices, I'm going to take it and kind of detail that out a little bit. When you buy something from a supplier, it's probably getting manufactured in China or Vietnam or some other country. You need to understand when they cut, when you cut a PO to them, they will, when they ship products, you need to first receive it. And then after receiving, you need to kind of do a three-way match, meaning the analysts are now looking at what did I order? How many quantities did I get? When did I get, right? Because a lot of the times you don't get the whole shipment into one single shipment. It is many a times it, it kind of splits. And so the systems and the analysts, the people that are using the system, they should better know eventually at the end what they have received. And if there is anything on the way, they need to take care of that. So when they cut the invoice to pay the, the company who manufactured, they need to make sure they're paying the amount of inventory they actually received in their facility, not the amount of inventory that is maybe still in the waters or maybe still in the manufacturing facility. So the analysts are kind of looking at the holistic visibility of the data and a lot of the times what is happening is people there are a lot of customers who are very sophisticated in managing their data of course it has to be through the platforms and the tools that they were given but a lot of you know there are some customers that we deal with they actually manage this kind of data on a spreadsheet that is where it becomes extremely difficult for them to match and know exactly how what they have received and what kind of invoice needs to go they just don't have the visibility. 
Another example is, you know, forget about cross-border or manufacturing. A lot of our B2B manufacturers, they sell through the distribution model or retail channels and all. A lot of the times they have difficulty in getting the data from the retail partners or distribution partners, which is, you know, either point of sale data or the way they are selling to understand what which products are selling better, where you are out of stock for some of the products and all that. So big corporations, they always struggle with trying to mine this data, whether it is structured or unstructured. They struggle a lot to kind of see, if, first of all, whether they get the data from all their retail partners. If they do get, can they actually quickly convert it in a meaningful format that their systems can understand and take advantage of? Because manufacturers, it's a very beneficial piece of data. They can take that and use that for their product development from an engineering perspective and from a marketing perspective as well. And lastly, it's going to help them in increasing their brand image in the market and not losing to the competition. Because anytime you are in an out-of-stock situation at your retailer, the retailers are going to sell other products. They're going to sell products from your other competitors as well. So it's very important. You touched up on a lot of different things there. Let me unpack that a little bit, right? Taking a simple example of a B2B or B2C. Let's take B2C, okay? Now, if you look at the supply chain of B2C, it starts with the customer, then the business that sells something to the customer, then the, for example, a warehouse provider who will maintain all the inventory for that particular retailer, then it goes to the manufacturer who have to fill up those inventories. Now, as an analyst, do you think there are organizations out there, except maybe the Amazons, who have access to this end-to-end supply chain? Or do you see silos even within this entire supply chain, which is where it breaks down quite a bit? What What is your thought there? You've mentioned an entire value chain right there. Yeah. So I would say that from mature retailers, they do have visibility into their end-to-end supply chain and the data. Okay. Is it 100% accurate? Is it 100% perfect? No. And they do have breakpoints and some places they're not doing better. Those are more of the mature retailers. You know, if I have to name like Walmart, Home Depot and all, they have a pretty good process. They understand, you know, what's been bought, what's been manufactured and how many quantities do they have available to sell or fulfill customers orders okay so connecting the dots i think they're quite matured from that perspective but if you really look at i'm going to take it to the b2b world in the b2b world i think that maturity is a little bit less and it is also probably not about maturity it is also about the complexity of their business processes right because the b2b companies in, in a case where it's a manufacturer, they have a lot more data that they need to deal with. They have a lot more processes that they need to deal with. For example, the manufacturing side of the house. What needs to be produced from raw material because they need to track not only the finished good, but they need to track the raw materials as well. How many buttons do they need? How many threads do they need to build a shirt? How many clothes or fabric do, do they need to manufacture 100,000 units of a particular shirt. How many colors do they need to maintain and those kind of stuff, right? So it gets into this whole complexity of how do I procure raw material and how what amount should I produce and what my 
manufacturing capacity or my output should be. So those complexities, if you actually take into consideration all of that, it becomes a little bit complex and that's where we have seen a lot of breakdown. And that's our job to kind of fix and go to those customers, consult with them and, and try to see how we can gain visibility from end to end and, and make this process more smoother. I'm I'm also going to throw in a little bit of thought process here. So what's interesting in what you said, Pavan, is this, right? Take an example of Best Buy. Best Buy sells a lot of electronics. I'm going to take one particular example of a printer that is manufactured by HP Hewlett Packard. Now, if you actually look at the hierarchy of Hewlett Packard, your supplier for HP printers might be Hewlett Packard's one of the thousands of offices worldwide. Or it might be one of the suppliers who supplies HP, but they actually don't manufacture HP printers. So this is where companies like Dun & Bradstreet are making a lot of money because they are making this quote-unquote hierarchy as a business. And they provide data products for companies like Best Buy who can now leverage all the different offices and they can go to their nearest supplier of HP while DNB is making all the money here, right? So there are also these other companies that are supplying data, which is actually monetizing the data from what you said, isn't it? Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, again, at the end of the day, it is the visibility of the data, right? A lot of these organizations, even in your example in HP, because of the segregation of so many different fulfillment centers and also their processes, because maybe HP has some contracting manufacturers who are making these products overseas, right? So they also don't get visibility into the data that they need to then send it to their suppliers or or retail partners and all that. Whereas companies like you mentioned in Dun and Bradstreet and all, they're kind of mining that data and selling it. Yeah, they're monetizing the data value, isn't it? Yes. That's what the whole purpose of this podcast is, to show people how you can monetize your data. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We see that lot often. So with, with that said, this complicated data ecosystem, how can you enable insights and predictive analytics across the supply chain? Right, right. It is where actually a lot of people, a lot of the organizations are focusing. So if you really look at the pandemic situation that has happened, a lot of these companies took some knee-jerk reactions. Some of our customers, big manufacturers, they said, oh my God, I don't know what's going to happen you know, how many units of a particular product we will be able to sell. So their knee-jerk reaction was to kind of slow down on the manufacturing side of the house, producing less supply because they had no idea what that demand is going to look like in the next two weeks or four weeks or four months. The point is that these disruptions throughout the supply chain are inevitable. It's going to happen. It's going to happen because of unexpected customer behavior, traffic pattern or weather or any natural disaster, or maybe there is a labor unrest, you know? Yeah, the unknown unknowns, right? Which you cannot predict for, right? Right. Everybody's now thinking is we need to understand our data better. We need to kind of mine the data and build some control towers. What the control tower is going to do? Provide you visibility on all the AI-infused optimization that were created through hundreds of models or maybe tens of models, right, to avoid markdown avoidance. You know, like I, I don't want to mark down my products just because the demand has gone down, okay? Or it may have gone down for a couple of days. It may come up, right? So 
the human doesn't have the intelligence to kind of look at those patterns so their organizations are investing very heavily on taking the data centralizing it on a cloud and then kind of using the ai ml and the models to kind of you know take the best optimization out of it and that goes as an input to their planning process interesting i was actually on a on a call with a very 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 large global oem probably forbes top 10 if not top 20 maybe essentially they're investing in ai as a conversational bot because they deal with their dealers and customers alike what they want to do is they want your dealers and customers to pick up the phone and say hey can you show me an inventory of what's out there and this this uh, uh, conversational bot will actually go and do all the the back end research similar to how a human will do it in the excel file that you talked about right but this time it's all automated so the focus here is not the bot itself the focus is how much you can automate the process where the intent is to focus on the supply chain itself and less about these manual labor intensive tasks which most of the time it's about data gathering it's about fact gathering or insights that you can get if you automate my insights and i just know what the insight is i can focus more on fulfillment order fulfillment and shipment and less about data gathering do you see that quite a bit in the market like is ai automating a lot of this yes absolutely we are seeing a whole lot and we are actually implementing for some of our top retailers we are implementing optimizers it will tell you if you have excess inventory at one location versus the other how soon you can get it to the customer so three factors right if you really look at the whole supply chain there are three main factors that i think are super important the first one being everybody wants to provide their customers with the best experience possible meaning you know to retain the customer for the customer to be loyal and all that the second is when you try to do that you need to make sure that you are still able to hit on your margin dollars you're still very profitable your operational costs are kept low and then the third thing is you know how do you actually now try and increase your revenues by optimizing on the data by optimizing and using ai ml now take an example it's not always beneficial a lot of the organizations they think i have four warehouses in the country when i get an order customer order I should look at the close proximity warehouse and ship the product to the customer from that warehouse. That is not always the right strategy because the product mix in that order can be very different. And a lot of the times you may end up splitting the order and incur extra shipping cost and multiple packages that you're shipping out. So that may not be a right strategy. So we are optimizing on the inventory. We are basically we have a model a ai model where it's going to look at all the possible uh, fulfillment centers and take decisions based on of course it's going to try and keep the promise date of the customer because that's super important but then it will look at a lot of other cost factors the carrier cost the capacity cost the cost of moving goods or handling goods in when one warehouse versus the other the labor cost those kind of stuff so there's a lot that we are seeing i mean there is a, actually a really good case study on Kohl's. They saved probably $20 million in just shipping cost by optimizing, by taking advantage of the uh, shipping optimizer where they saved a little bit of, you know, pennies or maybe, you know, some dollars on some orders and all that. They were, at the end of the day, 
they were able to spend a lot of money. So that's where the focus is. Yeah, I've I've seen a lot of uh, case studies by people doing PhD on Optimizer, and then another one that comes to mind is Recommender, right? Yes. Um. So it's it's they they call this the Netflix effect. You know, you you watch this, you go and do this. In traditional days, they used to call this the market basket analysis. Has has recommenders gone seeped into the the commerce side of the house, or is it still more focused on the front end, where you build it on that side? No, I mean there is there is a huge amount of um, attention on the on the supply chain end to end supply chain. You know, commerce. Yes, you can basically enable some statistics and analytics to kind of gain insight into what's selling better. How how quickly or how conveniently your customers are able to convert the cart into an order and all that. But when it comes to the fulfillment of the order and all, we are seeing a whole lot of attention there. You know, and one of the things, if you really look at the market, the data scientists are, are becoming so important. Every organization they're looking for the best data scientists, and they're willing to pay whatever they need to pay because this is where organizations think that they can optimize and make their their business more profitable um, and and more manageable in the coming years yeah it is consistently the most wanted job in in job sites isn't it the data scientist becomes the top five most wanted jobs i don't know for how long yeah one other thing on the strategy side of the house the pricing is a very complex uh, strategy right so when you when you get to a pricing strategy just look at the airline or the uber model they they do their pricing based on the demand at that time. So when you travel, when you're booking, when you land at the airport, and we try to book an Uber, if there are twenty flights that has come that time and there's a huge demand, you're gonna get a different pricing. So the pricing strategy becomes very important as well. Yeah, that is a fantastic point. So you've touched up on a lot of niche key differentiators, right? How how do you see the market thriving with startups? Healthcare has picked up significantly, and there's a big number of startups getting funded by VCs the last two to three years. Do you see a lot of the startups emerging in your space as well? Yes, yes, huge, huge number. And I'll I'll give you a couple of examples, right? This whole optimization space with the AI, ML, and all that is a huge area where we are seeing a lot of different startups. They're trying to mine the data and you know as you said right sell the data and sell the insights to the company in some cases it's even the algorithm that they sell but it's not that easy to build it right right so that's one area the other area if you really as soon as the the covid hit every retailer every customer wanted to you know of course they want to do business safely so everybody needed same day delivery capability or you know curbside pickup now in order to do that in the last probably like five months, I haven't heard so many different startups or different solutions out there in the market that I have heard in the last four or five months offering those kind of services and platforms that the retailers can hook into and, and provide whatever is needed. One of the solution, we are actually doing some work with that solution is, is flyby and they use the GPS data and your geolocation data kind of tell if the customer has started from home or how far he is from from the store uh, to pick his product and as soon as the customer parks anywhere in the parking lot even three stores away a message pops up on the device on the store associate device and says a customer is here go and drop the products in his car 
Actually, Starbucks has a very similar effect if you've ever used the Starbucks app, right? Yeah. They, they are GPS enabled and they will tell you what is the nearest store and you can order it. And as as soon as you go close to the store, they will get a notifier saying that Arvind has just come into the store, get ready with his order. So there, there will be a notifier there as well. That, that's That's awesome. So now let's jump into the digital marketing side of things, right? With so much going on on the order management, the commerce, the, the fulfillment side, what do you guys feed to the marketing team that makes them personalize their campaigns? What, how do you enable the marketing team on from your side so that they can do what they need to do best? So if you really look at most organizations, they're finding ways to let people or their customers promote their share of the story, as well as you know making sure that their brand is getting some differentiation in, in the market. A lot of the times, not only that we push the product data to the um, central data hub, I would say, where then you can use it for marketing campaigns and generate marketing automation, those kind of activities. But the primary set of data that we are kind of feeding into the marketing channels are order data, the buying behavior of the customer. What are they buying? What styles they're buying? What products or what colors they're buying? Because that goes into the seasonality determination as well as the upcoming season. What do I need to manufacture more or what do I need to store? The other is the demographic data, right? If you really look at, let's say, Ohio versus New York, a fabric retailer that we serve, it's, it's very different. The way they actually promote and do marketing campaigns and target those customers is super different. It is because of you know, the demographic differences and the millennial versus a little older uh, folks and all that. Gen Z, Gen X, yeah, yeah. So many generations, they call. Does this also feed into the segmentation side, Pawan, the demographics info? So when when a marketing person is thinking about how do I segment my customers, maybe these insights that the commerce and the order management team is providing will be helpful for them to determine that. Do you agree? Yes, absolutely. And that is a big piece, right? Because the segmentation is very important. You don't want to send a marketing email or a text, which is very irrelevant for a segment of customers, right? They may not even, it's going to be super ineffective if you have to do it that way. So it is very important that segmentation and the relevancy of those marketing information is very important. I'll give you a quick example also on that. One of the nation's largest retailer, and this happens in my household, my wife would order a few things from the retailer and she gets in their own native app she will get a notification saying your order is ready for pickup or you know for you to come on curbside and pick it up what these guys do and i really like the way actually they use because every time you get a chance to interact with your customer you should take that advantage to market yourself your products or whatever not so through that message what they also do is They'll send you a message and say, by the way, this week we have a promotion going on. If you buy $25 worth of P&G products, we are going to give you a $5 gift card. The immediate reaction is, okay, let me order that. That's an amazing deal. Let me order that. And then I will go and pick both my orders together. So that is where the targeted, and how do they know that my Household uses PNG products. It's because of the buying behavior and the data that we are actually sending it through the supply chain to those marketing machines. I, I hope somebody from CVS Pharmacy hears this. 
because when I go to buy stuff from CVS Pharmacy, you know what they do? They give me a 80-foot-long receipt that says you got $2 off for a candy, $1 off for Halloween costume, whatever. But, oh, my God, they give it to me as a printout, as a receipt printout. And I'm thinking to myself, had you only be able to send me a text message to say you've got these offers, I have a quick way to go and search for it. And next time when I come and shop with you guys, I'll use my coupons, you know? Right. It's all about digital marketing these days. And people are making differentiation among their peer, among their competitor with that, with higher and better capabilities, you know, enabling those. And, you know, it's not easy sometimes. It takes a considerable amount of effort, resources and time to implement the more effective digital marketing. For example, for customers, you know, they use a ton of different type of tools, right? They use TLM for marketing data hub. They use uh, Sprinkler for social mar- media marketing. They use Mercado for automation. Then on the analytics side, they use Google, Adobe Analytics and those kind of stuff. So the importance is that then you need to understand what all those tools are going to do for you and have a clear delineation of the purpose and the responsibility of the tools. No doubt. I cannot end this podcast without talking about data privacy, especially on a global scale of GDPR and CCPA compliance. How does that impact you, Pawan? How does your implementation get impacted with all these regulatory constraints? It's huge for us, and especially when you are looking at from an end-to-end supply chain perspective. When you capture, first of all, you know, through our commerce platforms and all, we would like to first capture as much information as we can get from the customer. When they sign up, we want to ask them a few questions and say, oh, what are your preferences? Do you like that? Do you like this? And all that. How would you like to be notified and all? So that's the first step. When the customer is registering him or herself, that's the first step that we try to collect that that data outside. Then what happens is as part of their online account, we give them options to opt in or opt out on either communications or marketing campaigns or surveys, those kind of stuff. According to the GDPR rule, right, you the customer has the right to opt in, opt out, and you shouldn't, after they opt out, you shouldn't keep their data or erase it or whatever not. Again, different countries have different rules and regulations around that front. But the most important and the most complex piece for us, especially in the supply chain, is you have to transmit that data to another system. Now, when the customer comes and says, okay, I'm going to opt out of this in the commerce layer, you have the responsibility to now syndicate that message out to 15 other systems that you have originally syndicated that data out, letting them know that you need to be now compliant. You cannot, the customer opted out. So you you have to do what we did in our system, which is to make sure this guy doesn't get the additional emails or communications or you basically he's opting out of revealing any data or asking them to erase all the data that they previously hold. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is where something like master data would come in play where it will centralize your, especially things like opt-outs aligned to a customer, unique customer, and then it'll distribute all this information consistently to the 15 systems that you talked about, right? Correct. So usually we use a CRM-based systems where we would take the information from and then we would trigger that or any event that changes it, we actually go to that CR master data system and and let them know so they can syndicate it out to the rest of the systems as well. This is fantastic. Thank you so much for all the information you've provided so far. What advice would you like to give to our listeners, especially executives who are listening to this podcast? Like, 
what should they be or should not be doing in the context of commerce and, and supply chain and order management side of things? I would definitely say that the, the power of data is unimaginable. It can help you build up a really good business. It can take you down as well. So the data is very important for you to mitigate your risk, optimize your execution, and of course, visibility. I would recommend that when you have a new project to start with, you have a vision, you have a business problem that you need to solve, you need to ask yourself, what data do I have to solve that business problem? What additional data do I need to collect? Now, once you have done that, you have to now ask the second question, how can I make this data useful with the systems which is going to run the business rule side of the house as well? And then how do you syndicate and make that data provided to your business partners as well so that it's a very easy and convenient way for you to do business with your business partners as well and grow revenues and all that. So data is very important in the vision and in the things that you want to do, the capabilities that you want to provide to your customer. Gain competitive advantage by unlocking the value of the supply chain data that you have in your own systems or or maps that you have in your organization. Well said. So be transparent, mitigate, optimize, and use data and insights to run your business. You've talked a lot about B2B and B2C. Pawan, thank you so much for being on the show with us and discussing the Amazon-like experience, if you will, and the value of data and analytics. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Arvind. Thanks for tuning in to Intelligent Data with Arvind Morali. Subscribe to our podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. You can find this season along with show notes at Perficient.com or listen to this series on top podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, or Amazon.